I truly believe we can reinvigorate the small businesses that we work with. And we can do everything we can to expand them because they're they're the key to our differentiation. And I think especially coming out of COVID, Dave, we're all going to want to invest in our local communities. And FTD can kind of drive that better than basically anybody in the industry. I'm your host, Dave Knox, and this is Predicting the Turn, a show that helps business leaders meet their industry's inevitable disruption head on. Welcome to another episode of Predicting the Turn. Today, we're going to sit down with Charlie Cole, the new CEO of FTD. Charlie, welcome to the show. Thanks, Dave. Nice to be here virtually, I guess. Uh, It should be a fun conversation. So, you know, I want to dive right in and kind of talk about your recent move. You became the CEO of the business uh, less than a year ago. So how'd you find yourself at the helm of FTD? So my whole career is in e-com. You know, I've been a digital marketer first, I suppose, but in e-commerce since I was 25. And, and ultimately, I got recruited for this job and met the private equity firm Nexus Capital Management and immediately fell in love with the challenge. Uh, and I'd say I fell in love with it for two reasons. One, it was an inherently flawed tactical e-commerce challenge. You know, anyone who's been in this business you can look at analytics on a website and see broken stuff. And, and this was one of the opportunities where I just knew there was a lot we could do in the blocking and tackling side. But two, I fell in love with this industry in my research of it. And what I would say, and it, and it may not be a popular opinion, but I, I think the gift giving industry, it kind of forgot the one thing that I think you and I hear people talk about all the time, which is this concept of like customer obsession and customer centricity. And instead, it was like, let's commoditize it and simplify it. And I I thought that there was just a huge opportunity to differentiate in the industry by just good old-fashioned customer centricity. And so kind of a traditional find, you know, I was recruited and and I fell in here. But man, I just absolutely fell in love with the opportunity once I saw it. Well, you know, you've had an amazing career that took you up to this point. How did those previous roles, you know, specifically leading digital and e-commerce to me and Samsonite, how that prepare you for working for a hundred year plus brand that's kind of in this reinvention? Ironically, I went from one hundred and ten year old company to another hundred and ten year old company. Samsonite was celebrating their one hundred tenth anniversary, and I and I got here, and, and FTD was the same story. The the combination of experiences I have, I, I think, is what prepared me best, as opposed to just one individually. So I've done amino acid level entrepreneurship. I've done big company, I've done private equity-based turnaround, I've been in an agency. And so my, my diverse background prepared me the best. And the reason for that is, this is really more like a startup to me. It feels more like my startup times than it does feels like Samsonite. And, and I think the reason being is, when you have a company that has gone through what FTD has gone through over the last two and a half years, there's just a lot of stuff that you need to kind of hit the reboot button on. And that's why I think that kind of diverse background of experience, specifically in startups, has prepared me the best. Samsonite taught me a lot about kind of the blocking and tackling of working with a big company. But, but honestly, Dave, what I've been trying to do is eliminate bureaucracy and, and eliminate kind of the, the redundancy that you'll see at a, at a larger company. And it's being run more like a startup. And, and that's why I think I'm having so much fun. So you mentioned the uh, reboot button that you had to hit. What were your day one priorities as you jumped in as the CEO of, of FTD? The blocking and tackling on the e-com side. I think it was just really important that we were pragmatic about fixing what we could fix quickly and at the same time learning what's going to take more time. And 
I would love to tell you that you jump in and you fix everything day one, but as you know, that's just not the way stuff works. We didn't have a good data infrastructure, for example, so I couldn't just fix that on day one. I had to work with what we had, but what we could do is do simple things like put Apple Pay, Google Pay, and Afterpay on the website. You know what I mean? It, it sounds like, well, duh, but that's kind of how we really got the ship sailing again, is doing this day-to-day. And if you pardon the idiom, it really bought us time, both literally and figuratively. Because once you kind of get that thing working to some extent, you can start to invest and fix the things that just take more time. And, and so here we are 10 months later, and I, I'm here to tell you, we still got a heck of a lot of stuff to do. You know, we, we have rebrands to launch. We have tech platforms to launch. We have all this stuff. But we've kind of gotten back to the basics and fixed what we could fix. And, and also what we did is it wasn't a day, it was a day one priority, but it couldn't be accomplished in one day. I started spending a ton of time with our florists. And that was a priority for me that, again, it wasn't a quick fix It because I had to learn from really our key partners what the opportunity really was. Like, where could we improve? Where, what are we doing well? What are we not doing well? And that was obviously made a heck of a lot more complicated by COVID. You know, I, my first day was March 23rd. I think if it wasn't for COVID, I would have been in basically all 50 states in my first 90 days just to kind of get to know Flores. But instead, I had to do everything like this. I had to do everything virtually. And, and that was a bit of a, 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 of a culture shock as well. But the combination of kind of getting the e-commerce company on the rails and then also learning as much as I could from our florist was, was really where I dove in on, on day one. So from that learning, uh, what have you seen about the customer experience that you think you really need to improve upon? There's an interesting paradigm that's obvious when I say it, but I don't think it's really obvious until you dive into it, which is if I send you flowers or so there's immediately there's two customers, right? There's the gift giver and the gift receiver. So that's an interesting paradigm. And the other thing is that these bouquets are really kind of a work of art. And so the difference between me selling you a water bottle, right? You take one picture of a water bottle, you open the box, it's the exact water bottle there's no kind of like disconnect there from the customer on both the gift giver and the gift receiver. But if I send you even a dozen roses, they're not going to lay exactly the same way that it does on the website. And so we had to really kind of learn about what the customer expectation was, knowing that slight variations and slight deviations from the actual product photography is inevitable, right? If the wind blows, when the flower is left on your doorstep, it's going to look, not look perfect compared to a product shot. So aligning that kind of customer expectation, aligning the florist expectation, kind of what they can deliver at a high quality. And so it sounds so silly, right? Because it's such a basic thing, but it's a unique paradigm to our industry where we have to make sure that the artistry involved in this is going to allow for slight variations and kind of what the product shows up. And so the analogy I'd make for you is uh, the McDonald's hamburger commercials right? Like you see these beautiful hamburger with crisp pickles and stuff like that, but the variation from one location to the other is going to be slightly off. And so we had to kind of make sure that we were accurately representing everything online. We had to make sure we were following up. And I can tell you from a, a, a gold star of the last 10 months, we have improved our, N, our customer NPS by about 50%. We've decreased our refund rate. So we're on the right track there, but I still think there's, there's more to learn. So talking about that learning uh, curve, you know, over your career, you've bounced to a lot of different industries, a lot of different spaces. As you move from luggage now into the gifting space, how about did you go thinking about learning about not the the industry, but those intricacies that you mentioned? Well, I'll I'll tell you a funny kind of anecdote. When I got to Toomey and I realized that we were selling 
you know, $400 to $500 products with an average UPT of like 1.1 and a return rate of 3%. I was like, what have I been doing wrong in my career my whole life? This is like the easiest e-commerce business on earth. So I, I certainly realize I'm not in that world anymore. But specifically on the flowers side of things, there's just so much we have to kind of keep in mind about the emotionally charged nature of, of what's going on. And so one of the things I, I like to remind myself, Dave, is like, and again, it's not something you can really appreciate until you dive into the industry. We are sending people gifts that celebrate the best moments and mourn the worst moments of their entire life, right? And so you're talking about, we, we were talking before we started this about our kids. If you're talking about the birth of a child, a birthday, but you're also talking about the loss of a loved one. And so contextualizing everything we do in the emotions of our consumers is the key. And it's hard, right? It's really hard because you're going to make mistakes. There's no, and even if you don't make a mistake right now in the Northeast, there's a snowstorm, right? There's a really bad Nor'easter over New York city. We're going to have some late deliveries today. It's just the way it is. UPS is going to shut down, whatever it is. Our floors aren't going to be able to leave their house. Allowing for the emotional nature of what we do and trying to meet customers at that level, I think is where we win. Because if you don't start there, then you're just going to miss the beat. You know, you're, you're not going to really appreciate these peaks and valleys that we all go through. And I think that for me was the, the unlock is appreciating the emotional nature of kind of what we do, because if you just think of it as just good old fashioned e-com, you really are only understanding half the mission here where we need to understand that we're delivering flowers to funerals and hospital beds and, and also homes that are celebrating. And, and it kind of ratchets up your expectations on your own side. And then one tactical thing I'll share with you. Uh, one of the first things I did was uh, work some shifts in our customer service department. And that, I think, has allowed me to, to see this kind of emotional nature. When you miss a delivery, look, if you don't get your shoes on time from Zappos, that's one thing. But if you have a birthday at this time and something comes late, it's just a different thing. So I think being on the phone with our customers and also spending so much time with our florists is, is what helped me the most in, in understand that emotional nature. So it can be notoriously difficult for, you know, a legacy brand to be modernized. You know, you have tech stacks, you have just employees that have a way of doing things, you have partners that are used to the way of doing it. How have you approached really getting people to embrace the change that you want to bring for the business? Ruthless transparency, it would be where I'd start that answer. On my first couple of days, and Dave, this is something that I think you can appreciate the nuance of more than most is... You come in and you say, hey, look, I want everybody to tell me, feel free to say anything to me. But that's way easier said than done. What you actually have to do is start reciprocating. And so we really look at the good, the bad, and the ugly together. And so simple things like monthly metrics reviews that we do with the whole company. I've shared this anecdote before, but I'll share with you. I had a, I sent that email out. I said, hey, if you guys have any ideas, I want to hear them. I want to learn from you. And a, a gentleman on our tech team shot me a note with these eight bullets in it. And they were all really thoughtful. And I responded to every one of them. And his reply to me was, that's the first time in seven years I've ever received an email reply from the C-suite. And right away, you're like, okay, that's how hard this is going to be. Like, that's where we really got to kind of change this narrative. And so engaging our company and everybody and our, like making everybody feel willing like they can say. And the other thing that I started doing, and this is just anathema to me as a person, I started writing a blog. And I really struggled with it because there's something extremely self-referential about writing about yourself and like sending it out to a whole company. It's just like, I don't want to be that guy. But at the same time, employees loved it. 
and and it, and I tried way too hard at first. Like I wanted everything to be ultra profound and and like change the culture. But if I just write about what I did this week, it actually goes a long way in making people feel like they know what's going on. And, and so I think you can't appreciate how much communication helps. And it might seem trivial. It might seem self-referential if you're writing a blog, whatever it be. But I would just tell everybody like. Just get out there and start talking to people. And that's where, for me, I think our culture has come a long way because we have that level of transparency across the whole organization. And when you do it, people start to reciprocate and you start to hear what's really going on. Talent is a big part of predicting the turn. And as we talk about talent, I wanted to mention one of our sponsors, Hunt Club. Imagine the power of the best marketers in the world helping you to find your next marketing leader. That's the power of Hunt Club. Hunt Club is a new category of talent company that powers the network of experts, connectors, and business leaders to help you find the best talent. Let's face it, recruiting hasn't changed with the times. Hunt Club is changing the recruiting game by leveraging technology and crowdsource referrals to find you the best people possible for your company. Stop paying job boards that don't work or recruiting firms that recycle the same active candidates. Partner with Hunt Club. So talk about that culture of the company. You know, your leadership team is a mix of old guard and new. You've been on the job 10 months. So you've had to recruit people. How have you bridged that divide and gotten people in boat during a time of COVID that's kind of a little wonky for recruiting and everything else? Yeah, I'd say that's the understatement of the day. Fun fact, I've actually never been in the FTD's office as an employee just because of COVID. So that kind of tells you the, the table stakes there. I think that for us, by so first off, the brand does have a lot of reverence, right? And, and the FTD brand, you mentioned, it's been around for 110 years. And so people know it and people also kind of know that it's been disrupted, right, over the last 20 years. A lot has changed in the gift marketplace online and, and FTD certainly was not on the cutting edge for a long time. But what I like to do is kind of really articulate the opportunity in a way that celebrates its heritage, but really go back to, and I, and I apologize for saying this again, treating it like a startup. Like, look, you have a chance to start with a 110-year tailwind. But now, everything we do from here on out, let's start thinking in an innovative, fast-moving, almost venture mindset. And, and that's kind of what gets people excited is that a brand like FTD is an advantage if done properly. It's not an anchor around your, uh, around your ankle, right? It's actually a huge advantage if done properly. If for no other reason that people out there know who you are. And if you can just change the narrative to fix, like to fit the modern day, you have a head start. And I think that's where we really try to approach it. And that's why you look at our leadership team, you know, our, our chief creative officers from fashion, our CTOs from the agency world, our COO was at like a, a charter cable community. We've got a diverse bunch of talent, all of which is just really excited to embrace this challenge. So talking about those, uh, you know, the partners, you have not only your employees, but you also have the floors, you know, that have chosen to be part of the FTV, FTD family but they could also choose to be partners with others across the board. So how have you thought about enrolling them as those partners? And you mentioned doing all the calls with them. So what have you learned out of that that's going to impact what you do in 2021? So Tom Muller, who, who runs our florist team, said something to me that crystallized the challenge. And that was basically every florist in the United States has worked with FTD at some point in time. Because it's been around for so long. And at one point it was a co-op. And so everybody has an FTD story, good, bad, or otherwise in our industry. 
And that's when I realized that I need to get out there and hear as much as possible. And you almost have to get people to trust that you're going to embrace the best of FTD, but you also need to make sure that you kind of undo the wrongdoings of the past. And so the florist community, and FTD was a part of this, and there's two or three other players in the space that were part of this, were basically having just like the blood squeezing from the stone. That was the florist. The florists were the, the stone, and, and they were just basically being commoditized. And so we've looked at it as an opportunity to, to reinvest in the small businesses around the United States and treat our florists like partner as opposed to order takers. And just by doing that, Dave, you can go a long way, right? And you can do simple things. And the thing I love about this, it's truly virtuous. Because if you give a florist a great experience, they're going to give your customer a great experience and your customer is going to come back to us. There's no cutting corners here. It's not like we have to kind of like shave a little bit of margin over here or, or do this. It's truly an opportunity to kind of make a virtuous circle and a virtuous experience for everybody. And so I get really excited to be the FTD that these florists want. And more importantly, I truly believe we can reinvigorate the small businesses that we work with. And we can do everything we can to expand them because they're they're the key to our differentiation. And I think especially coming out of COVID, Dave, we're all going to want to invest in our local communities. And FTD can kind of drive that better than basically anybody in the industry. That's wonderful. I love that myth, that message. So, you know, think back in your career, you've been part of a what I'd call generation of the digital change agents. You know, you were the one pushing your brands to embrace digital, to embrace e-commerce, to embrace this new go-to-market. You're now moving from being that change agent as a marketer to moving into the CEO job. How have you had to approach that differently, moving from the marketer seat to the, you know, the CEO seat? Well, the thing I would say is the CEO title, this is going to sound a little weird, but just indulge me. People treat you a little different, right? And people walk around on eggshells just a little bit. And there's just something inherent that there's like this myth of the unapproachable CEO. But you have to appreciate it, right? You have to make sure that that is just kind of human nature, right? It's the same way you would feel as you walked up to the president. You know what I mean? It just has a reverence to them. And, and I'm not saying this to make myself sound bigger than I am. It's just embracing the fact that people have this idea of the unapproachable CEO. Take, take the guy that hadn't received an email, seven years, right? It's real. And so I had to do everything I can to break that down and actually make myself just feel like part of the team. And so simple things, like one of the best pieces of advice I've ever received is when you're talking about the team, don't say I. Don't say I did this. It's, it's we, right? It's really about being a part of this team. And so, and I'll tell you, tactically, one of the things I did, my first three weeks, I did three hours a day of 15-minute Microsoft Teams calls, just meeting as many people as I could especially in a world where you take for granted when you're in an office that you run into people getting coffee, right? You pass each other in the hall, you can win. I didn't get any of those accidental moments. I didn't get any of those serendipity meetings. So I had to be extremely intentional, intentional about my communication. And I've learned a ton. Um, this morning, I was having a Microsoft Teams exchange with a, a woman on our creative team about the best slow cooker recipes. You know what I mean? Like silly stuff like that. But I think that really matters. And it, and it makes you that much more effective as a CEO. And you'll be able to drive change because frankly, people will see you as a partner as opposed to a dictator. So I want to talk more about that serendipity moments, because I think that's a really important part is, you know, if you look at your career, you've you've been one that's been out there and engaged going to conferences, doing that stuff that creates those moments of serendipity. 
how can leaders really intentionally get that serendipity, both internal and external, in this new kind of world that we're living in, in the business community? It's a balance. And, and I want to be thoughtful about that because you only have so many hours in a day. And I think you have to be careful to not let it get away from you. And so my, my wife loves to remind me, it's like, it's totally okay to say no. That, you know, you can't always take every single meeting. But small things like answering every email, that's doable. That's doable. Answer every Microsoft Teams message. And I'll say as it pertains to the outside world, and this one's going to uh, rock some folks, answer every LinkedIn message you get. And I was having a conversation uh, with a, a partner that we're talking to right now, and I cold emailed them. I was like, hey, I think we should work together. And he answered me, and I was so grateful. And he's like, look, I try to do every single LinkedIn message because, yeah, 95% of them, 98% of them are cold calls that you don't need at that time, right? It's just an inbound sales message that isn't relevant to you at the time. But 2% of them are going to be truly potential changes to your business. And so I just really encourage people to be open to communication while balancing the fact that 95 times out of 100, it's going to have to be passive communication as opposed to active. You can't take a meeting with every single person that emails you. I'm not trying to advocate for that, but you can answer them. Even if the answer is, no, I don't need what you're selling. Just answer people. And so I think taking that approach both internally, where, of course, I want to talk to every employee who wants to talk to me, but externally being willing to have discourse over, again, passive communication channels is something more people should embrace. That's an amazing point. I love that. Well, this has been a great conversation. I really appreciate you taking the time. Is there anything you want to leave uh, the audience with as you think about where FTD is going over the next year? Embracing that virtuous cycle, right? If I could make everybody that listens to this believe in one thing about FTD, it's that we are truly going to be the company that drives small business in this industry. And it's so easy to forget how important small businesses are to community fabric. But as I mentioned, I think COVID-19 has reminded all of us that all we are is our community. And so I get really excited about kind of where FTD can go from here, especially when we cut through all the scar tissue that, uh, that we had when we, when we started here. So I think we're just getting started. I love that. Well, thank you again for taking the time. It's a pleasure and uh, love the journey that you have the business on. Thanks, Dave. Nice to meet you. Thanks so much for listening. If you like the show, hit that rating and make sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And for more resources, head over to predictingtheturn.com. Thank you.